Hey everybody, today on Rotto Runs Through, we're taking a look at the top 10 games of 2022, preliminary edition. And before we get to that, hey everybody, Merry Christmas, if in fact you are celebrating Christmas today. If not, just happy day to you and yours. Hopefully, you're going to enjoy this top 10 countdown, preliminary countdown of uh, the best games, in my opinion anyway, of 2022. And I say preliminary because right now, on December, it's late, 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 Christmas Eve, December 24th, as I'm recording this for you right now, there's about 20 games that came out in 2022 that have yet to hit my table. And I really feel like I need to give them a go because they've got a shot to make it into the big show. So, uh, every year I like to uh, give a present on Christmas Day to everybody who watches the show, a early first stab at the 10 best games for my taste anyway. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And then you'll want to come back in April or May, sometime around there, you know, for four or five months from now in, you know, early to mid 2023. And then I will have the final one done after I've gotten those games played and after I've hopefully gotten a few of them filmed for you as well. So I uh, wanted to mention that. And there's another thing I got to mention, folks, for the first time ever, I am not alone in this very special yearly event. All of the contributors for the channel, all seven of them, are going to be telling you their favorite games of the year. So you're really getting a top seven except not really. There is some crossover there. Um, but I am really excited about all of that. Um, you know, everybody was able to spend a few minutes, uh, you know, recording a video for what they like the most. And I'm about to play that. And then we'll get to my top 10. But before we do that, there is one other thing I want to mention. Today, on Christmas Eve, December 24th, I spent over two hours recording a whole bunch of other stuff related to end-of-the-year countdowns. I streamed it all live on Twitch, and I've taken that live stream and turned it into a standalone video. Uh, you can hit that eye in the top right corner of the screen or follow the links down in the show notes. After you've finished the top 10 here, if you like what you see, you'll want to go check out that other video because I'm actually going to count down my 44 best games of the year. Number 44 to number 11 are in that other video, as well as a breakdown of those 20 or so games I mentioned that I haven't gotten to play yet that I really want to see. So it's kind of like my ongoing wish list for the year. And just for fun, I also unboxed Vita Lasarda's Weather Machine in that video as well. So there's something for everybody. Again, that's the eye up there or follow the links down in the show notes uh, after you have finished this run through. So, okay, folks, got a lot of games to talk about, and we are going to start out with the first contributor to the channel um, that showed up. Shay, take it away. Hey folks, so my top game of 2022 was ISS Vanguard. Now, I've talked about this game a few times on this channel, so maybe you're tired of hearing it from me, but the thing is, this game did something that no other game has done for me this year, and it's make me want to finish a campaign game. I don't have time for campaign games these days, but for this one, I have made the decision that I am going to complete it. I'm not that far into the campaign yet, but I'm still committed. And sure, it may not be the most mechanically uh, advanced game in the world. It's not the best game ever made or anything like that, but it has pulled me in in such a way uh, that I, I have to acknowledge that. And so that is my top game of 2022. All right, folks, see you later. Thank you, Shay. Now, here's an interesting thing about Shay's choice of ISS Vanguard. Originally, I was going to cover that game for the channel, and I got the prototype sent to me when it was um, crowdfunding. But the tricky thing is, Jen and I didn't like it at all. We were not fans. I'm like, oh dear, this is terrible. I made a terrible mistake. Um, and I contacted Shay and said, hey, would you be interested in covering this? And he said, yeah, you bet I would. So I put it in the mail, got it to him. 
him. And oh, it found a very, very happy home because as you can see, he loves this game so much, he will not stop talking about it. And of course, it was no surprise to me that it made it into his number one slot. So let's move on now uh, and see what Ryan likes. Ahoy, Rado! It's Ryan from Nights Around the Table. You asked me what my favorite board game of 2022 was? Well, it's a multiplayer board game that's app-assisted, takes place in sort of a fantasy universe that has fantastic minis, and you play sort of like a, you know, like a rogue, like a villain in the game. Oh, it's not this game. No, the game I'm talking about is Sea of Legends. Now, I gotta be really careful because Guildhall Studios did hire me to make a how-to-play video for your channel, and I, I would hate the optics of, you know, making people think that I'm lauding the game because I'm angling for uh, an expansion from them, which I am. But I have to tell you, honestly, sincerely, it was the best game that I played all year, and it was a game that I got weirdly obsessed with. Maybe because I didn't have the expansions, and I saw how much extra fun it looked like they added, or just maybe because like, the sculpts on those minis were so amazing. This is the game that made me paint all of my minis. I got all the minis from all of my board games and put them in the garage, and I did like a zenithal priming thing on them, and I finally took that plunge, and that was the game that did it for me. That was the game that pushed me over the edge. So I love it, and they're opening the Pledge Manager for the second expansion coming up soon, so look for that in January. Super thrilled about it. Sea of Legends, please do check it out. Oh, Ryan. Salty as ever. Appropriate as a salty sea dog. You know, interesting thing about Sea of Legends is, I think that is the game that has been covered by more individuals on my channel than anyone else. Shay covered it originally, Ryan did a how-to-play for it, and Kimberly did a run-through for the recent expansion as well. And when Shay covered it, he wasn't alone. His roommate Nick showed up. So, there's a lot of love for Sea of Legends out there. Not really my cup of tea, but that's okay, because I can certainly see why it's so appealing. Okay, now, let's move on to my partner in crime in the R&R show, Ruel. What do you like? Hi, friends. Ruel here to talk about my favorite game of 2022. Now, this was another fantastic year for games, but one of them, for me, stood out head and shoulders above the rest, and that was Ready, Set, Bet by John DeClaire and AEG. Now, this is one of my favorite combinations of publisher and designer. They've done stuff like Mystic Veil, Space Base, Kubitos, uh, Dead Reckoning. So anytime I see these two names together, I know I'm in for a treat. And Ready, Set, Bet was awesome. It is a party game. Now, here's the thing. A party game for gamers. So it's a real-time betting game. It's just like being at a day at the racetrack. You're betting on the horses, and you're trying to win the most money. But each round progressively adds in things for gamers, such as different abilities, different types of betting, all kinds of good stuff, and that's what really keeps it fresh in my book. It's so unique, and it plays from two to nine players, and it gets better the more players you add in. I mean, it's I played it with low player count and higher player count. I definitely prefer higher player counts because it, it gets really raucous, and to me, that's a sign of a good uh, game night uh, game is something where people are shouting and having such a good time. In fact, Every single game I've played Ready, Set, Bet this year has always become a big, loud occasion. And I love that. I think it's so exciting. And that's why it's been my favorite game of 2022, Ready, Set, Bet. Yeah, I am not surprised by that at all. Ruel has been such a mega fan of that game ever since he got to play it the first time, and he has talked about it several times on the r, &R show. Now, I gotta say, that is definitely one I would love to get my hands on and try someday. Can't imagine it's gonna work very well as a two-player game. Definitely more of a raucous party atmosphere kind of thing. And yeah, it seems really, really cool. Okay, now let's move along and see what Kimberly's favorite game was. Kimberly here, and I am super excited to share with you my top pick for 2022. This was my favorite board game of all the games that I played, but to give you just a little bit of a preview and maybe some guessing time, I'm going to recreate the cover. Now imagine that I have a beautiful white wig. Okay, did you get it? Yes, Lacrimosa. Lacrimosa is my pick for this year, and it just took me by storm. Like, I just didn't expect it, but after I played it, tried the solo, the thing that made me just love it is the card 
selection and card crafting. Now, when I say crafting, I'm not talking about like Mystic Veil style where you are sliding cards in and crafting different parts of a card. But what I'm talking about is you are curating cards in this game. You only get nine and you always have nine cards, but it's a deck builder. But you're not building a deck, you are curating or crafting a more powerful deck as you play the game. So players have these nine cards, and what you do in your player board is slide one card on the top that shows the top part that you're activating as your action for the turn, um, and you only have four turns per round, and you slide another card that you have in your hand in the underneath space that shows the bottom half of the card. And when you do this, what you're saying is, I wanna activate the top, but I'm going to forego the action on my bottom selected card to gain resources at the end of the round when I've played all four of my columns of cards. Now, when you actually, there's this one action called document memories, and that's when you get to kind of curate your deck. You go and buy a memory up in this collective area where everybody can buy cards from, and you take that card and it's kind of a souped up card and they get better from round one to round five, and so you want to get the better cards that let you do more in the top, but they also give you more resources at the bottom. And when you buy it, you tuck it in the space that you have activated that round. So the card you've already tucked gets taken out. You throw it into the trash pile, which you, of course, collect later. And you put your new card in. So not only are you losing the action on the old card, you're losing the bottom, but you're activating the bottom of that brand new card that round. So that's just so cool and so clever. And I'm not even talking about pretty much the entire game board, but that card selection and curating system is just the coolest thing that I have played this year, which is why I say Lacrimosa is my top game. And I have to tell you, it reminds me so, so much of Obsession and how much I love Obsession with that careful action selection. You have to pick what you want to do that turn. And there are so many reasons why you want to do certain things and invite certain guests in Obsession. And I feel like Lacrimosa gives me that wonderful, like, flair and theme and choice along with this super cool card system. So 2022, Lacrimosa was my pick. And if you want to find out what my other picks were for the year, check out Tabletop Tolson on my channel. Before the end of the year, I will have my top 10 list. All right, everybody. I'll see you later. Oh, good choice, Kimberly. I cannot fault you at all. And now, spoiler alert for my own top 10, folks. Lacrimosa does not make it on the list, in spite of the fact that I agree with everything Kimberly said. It is such a phenomenal design. Really, really good stuff. If you want to know more about my thoughts, well, again, like I said up front, you'll be able to hit that um, eye up there or follow the links down in the show notes to go to the complimentary video here where I do my countdown of the top 44, or numbers 44 through 11. Lacrimosa did make it into the top 44, I promise. So you'll be able to hear maybe a counterpoint Although, again, uh, Kimberly nailed it. She's right. It's such a brilliant, brilliant design. All right, next up, we've got a double feature from Amy and Maggie. What do you two like? G'day, everybody. It's Amy and Maggie from Thinkathema, and we're super excited to be part of this Best of 2022 video. The wrap-up for the year. The wrap-up for the year. We played so many games this year, and what a year it was. It was. Quite quite a number of uh, pretty solid games. Yeah. Great games. Our top 10 of the year were very different, and our number ones were different this year. So why don't you start with yours, Maggie? So my one is a bit of a tricky one to uh, crane over. Don't break uh, yourself. I know. I need to be safe <laughs> with my lifting technique. And that is Wonderland's War. This massive Massive game. Obviously, this is the uh, the Kickstarter uh, edition with all the deluxe bits, and so that's why it's so like massive and heavy as well. I absolutely love this game. It is an epic uh, game, both in terms of the uh, mostly just in terms of the length that it takes to, to play through. But I just love uh, how even though it's a it's a push your uh, push your luck bag builder, you have this beautiful world of wonders, uh, Alice in Wonderland, and all of these different. You you, you go through the uh, the Mad Hatter's tea party to kind of set yourself up for different battles. I'm not really big into battle, but I don't mind because I just worry about the quests. There's all these different quests that you can go on, and that's all I really worry about because it's like I place myself in different uh, areas, and I want to make sure that I end those. Um, battles in very specific conditions and it's just 
it's just it just delights me to no end. This is a game where I always go in way too aggressively. I'm always trying to push my luck a little bit more, just pull one more chip out of my bag, and I always always push my luck too far and always lose the game because while I'm busy fighting all these battles, Maggie's just working on her individual quests. Endless quests, collecting all, going on all sorts of different adventures, (laughs) making sure that I meet all sorts of different conditions. And I just, I absolutely love it. Beautiful production as well. I love the artwork, love the whole setting. So uh, yeah, Wonderland's War is my number one. Excellent game. Excellent game. It's also in my top 10 for this year. Um, But my number one is a game called Terracotta Army. And this game took me a little bit by surprise. I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did, but this game has a central action selection wheel that really I just enjoy so much because it is so tight to try and do what you want because this wheel has three layers and if you want on your turn, you're placing workers out to activate one of the little segments of the wheel, a middle action, uh, sorry, an inner action. Top, middle and bottom. Top, middle and bottom (laughs) action. Um, But you have the opportunity to pay $2 if if you like, to move one of the wheels either Mm. clockwise or anti-clockwise depending on which wheel, which means you can kind of change your fate, but most of the time you're just hoping that someone doesn't take your worker placement spot. Mm. And I love worker placement. And then on top of that, there's this highly interactive part where all the warriors are coming to life. There's this puzzle, the mausoleum, where um, it's a game of area control, area, area majority. And I love that as a mechanic. So it's combining two of my favorite mechanics and then there's this extra layer of the specialists and then also you can train with these different masters to give you different skills everything in this game I've said it once I'll say it a hundred times there is nothing that is superfluous in this game. Mm. All of the things that interact with each other just work so harmoniously. And on top of that, it's actually really easy to teach, aside from some of the small scoring rules. At the end. And also some people get a little bit of AP with that central wheel, even though... But I find it really straightforward. Yeah, Yeah, the iconography is really great as well. So this one really took me by surprise. I love a Euro that is highly interactive without being mean. Mm. Um, And that is terracotta. Army, so that's why it's my number one of 2022. And now we just want to say a very big thank you to everybody on the Rado Runs Through channel, the team, all of you viewers mm. who have welcomed us with open arms. It's been such a joy and such a new experience for us yeah. doing run through. So thank you for being so patient with us. Um, but we're hoping that everyone has a very safe and festive holiday season and we'll be back with more board game content soon. But otherwise, bye for now. Bye. Okay, Amy, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one, because in my experience, Terracotta Army can be a bit of a knife fight, as players are competing to get the best spots in that Terracotta Army vault, or more importantly, cutting each other off. Maybe at a higher player count, it's maybe not quite so intense, but in a two-player game, your best move is always going to be, hey, what statue do I want, and where can I put it to mess up your plan? So, uh, it didn't work for me in Gen, but still a brilliant design. Oh, I would love love to see that um, resource wheel, or uh, action selection wheel, put into a different game. And Wonderland's War, I gotta say, when Amy and Maggie first did the run-through of that for the channel, they almost convinced me that I made a mistake not checking that game out myself, even if it is all about um, you know direct conflict and warfare in an Alice in Wonderland type world. But anyway, they love it, and I think those are good choices. Now, let's uh, move on and see what Grant has to say. Hey, I'm Grant with Grant's Game Rex. Happy holidays, everybody. My number one game of the year was Wonderland's War. Oh, it's just so much fun. I love a game that mixes real strategy and choices with just some exciting unknown moments. You know, I don't want to play just a dry Euro game where everything is laid out before me. I want there to be strategy, but then I want there to just be something where you're like, I hope this works out. That, that, that to me, just adds so much excitement to the experience. And Wonderland's War does that really well. There's a lot of strategy in the worker placement aspect of the game, in the area control aspect of the game. You are getting chips, tokens to add to your bag, and so you're definitely building a bag. There's a lot of strategy in how you build your bag, but there's still just that reach into the bag, let's see what I get. You know, that, ow, there's so much tension in that moment in the game. You know, you're like, somebody's beating you in in a battle for, for area control, and you're like, if I get this one chip right now, 
it's over for you, sucker. Oh, I got that chip, you know? I just, I love those moments in the game. Plus, it doesn't hurt that the production value is amazing. The artwork is awesome. It looks so vibrant and cool on the table. It's one of those games where anybody walks by and goes like, ooh, impressive. That looks pretty good. So that's my number one game of the year. Thanks so much, everybody. All right, that cinches it. The first major crossover on the channel, Wonderland's War. Is it the game of the year? You folks will have to tell me down in the comments below. Anyway, thanks, Grant. I'm always enjoying the Grant's Greatest Games every month. Okay, now, I misspoke, folks. I made a bit of a goof right at the beginning of this video when I said Shay was the first contributor to the channel. Uh-uh. I have had a very prolific contributor working for years before any of these other people showed up. Paulo, my Portuguese um, Klingon goof checker who keeps us all on the straight and narrow. He's appeared a few times on the channel before doing some videos for inserts and various things. And I figured, hey, why don't we hear from the man himself what his favorite game of the year is? Paulo, take it away, buddy. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Paulo. And I'm here to because Richard asked me to tell you about my number one game of 2022. But before we get to that, I'm just, I just wanted to show you where I am. Uh, it just takes a second here at the Invictacon. This is one of the biggest conventions in Portugal. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm part of the organization, so I just wanted to show it off well, where I am. But you need you for this. So back to the, to the programming, uh, I'm just going to get away from the noise so that the sound it's it's not too bad give me just a second so like i said richard asked me and all of the other contributors to the channel to give you our best game of 2022 like i said to richard i haven't played many games from 2022 yet because i'm still playing the games from 2021 we have little time so uh, this is not my I'm sure it's, one, it's not going to be my favorite game of 2022, but it is the one that is at the moment. Uh, but before we get to that, I'm going to tell you about some other games that I think are excellent and deserve to be shout out. So my first, the first one I want to talk about is Resurgence. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, worker placement and planning game that you can check on the channel. Richard has made a video for it. The second game I want to, to mention is Village Rails. It's a, an excellent game uh, in a very small box. It, it has a lot of gaming inside of that. I think we should make also a video uh, for members at of the channel. Uh, I think he also released a, a small review of it. It's an excellent game. Check it out. Next is Woodcraft. I think all of you know about it. I'm not going to, to spend much more time on it. It's an excellent, another excellent work from Vladimir Suki. Sorry about the pronunciation and the other designer. Sorry about that, but I don't remember the name off the top of my head. The final mention I want to do is Blood and Atlas Tower. It's a, a, so, a social deduction game on the style of uh, Werewolf, but it's much, much better. It's an excellent game very well done um, with uh, very interesting powers for everyone that is in play and um, it's a big step up from uh, werewolf so to finalize this video so i don't take too much of your time uh, my number one game of 2022 is a big big surprise for me the game is it pedal to the metal uh, this is a big surprise for me because I didn't like the predecessor that was Flamme Rouge. I don't think it's... It's not a bad game, but it's not a game for me, but this one is excellent. I like uh, Formula 1, but uh, regardless of that, the game is very, very good. Uh, out of the box for uh, everyone to play. It's easy to understand, it's easy to, to get into the game, and it's fast to play, and it's, it feels like you are in the race. Uh, but you also have additional modules that you can utilize during the game that make the game even more interesting and uh, a very big hit in our group. And for me, my number one game of 2022 at this moment. It is all. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. 
of course, the guy who talks the least on the channel ends up going the longest. A whole cavalcade of games when, Paula, you were just supposed to tell us you're number one. You're breaking all the rules, and it's your job to make us follow the rules. What is going on here? Cats and dogs living together. Oh my gosh. Anyway, folks, um, thank you. Uh, Paulo, that was a fantastic list, and yes... I know, Heat, Pedal to the Metal, is a big deal. I've uh, been very remiss in not getting it to the channel. Thanks so much to Paul Grogan of Gaming Rules, uh, one of the best channels on YouTube. Uh, there's a link for his run-through of Heat down in the show notes. I highly recommend it in everything Paul does. And um, thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Thank you. Paulo, thank you, Grant, and Amy, and Maggie, and Kimberly, and Ruel, and uh, Ryan, and Shay. Thanks, everybody, for making this yearly event I do a little bit more special. Hopefully, folks, uh, you found that entertaining, but we've got the appetizer out of the way. It's time for the main meal. Yes, I am now going to count down uh, my preliminary, remember, preliminary list of uh, my 10 favorite games of the year. Oh, and one last thing before we get going, a very important caveat I forgot to mention earlier. You are not going to see any games on this list that are basically 2.0 or inspired by or spin-off type games. I want this list to be about nothing but new game experiences, which is why, in case you're wondering, Frosthaven doesn't make the list, because it really is a Gloomhaven 2.0. The uh, Steffenfeld alternate city games that came out this year, they all seem very cool. I haven't tried most of them yet. I'm excited to, but even if I had played them, they wouldn't make the list because, hey, Amsterdam is really just Macau, etc., etc. So, that's it, folks. No more provisos. We are ready for the list to be get going right now, starting with number 10 on the list. Carnegie. Oh my goodness. I see what everybody has been talking about. Uh, the, the, people have been raving about this all year. And in fact, it's interesting. Originally, I was going to cover this when it was on Kickstarter a couple of years ago, but the timing didn't work out. So Shay Parker stepped up and did it. So this is his run-through on my channel if you'd want to check it out. By the way, folks, there's links for all of these games where I've got run-throughs down in the show notes below if you want to, after we're done counting them down, learn a little bit more about these games. But anyway, so Shay stepped up and ran through it. And I think this game changed him, because ever since he played it, he's really started to switch more and more towards covering Euros on the channel by his own request. But anyway, what is the game about? Well, we are not Andrew Carnegie in this game. We are just contemporaries of Andrew Carnegie, um, hopefully trying to do a better job than he did, both in terms of running an industry that maybe isn't so exploitive with worker practices, but more importantly, giving away as much of our fortune as we can to charitable goods. There's uh, four candidates. Um, you know, We can give it to... Um, you know, equity, to social welfare, to health, and to education. And I love that. I mean, I'm always so fond of any kind of game, especially a big crunchy euro with lots of really cool mechanisms, that um, has such a, uh, a, a powerful power to the people message like Carnegie does. And, you know, and by the way, the rule book does say, yeah, Carnegie himself didn't always live up to his ideals and all of that, but this is our chance to pump everything we can into success that ultimately improves the lives of everyone, and I love that. But the gameplay itself, it is hard to describe this game. I guess if I had to sum it up as one mechanism, I'd say it's an engine builder, but it's really quite unlike any other engine builder I've ever played. Each player's board represents their own corporate office 
office, where over the course of the game, they will be opening up different departments and doing human resources actions to move their employees from one office to another, and then having to spend money to retrain them so that um, when the core action of a turn happens, uh, if an, if, uh, you know, if a, Oh, what do you call it? A construction action is going to happen. I got to make sure I've got people in my construction office because the interesting thing about this game is it's one of following where what when it's your turn, whatever you choose to do, whether it's construct stuff out in the continental U.S. or do uh, human resources stuff or do um, R&D stuff or just do business logistics. Those are the four actions you can choose to do. Everybody gets to do those actions. So you kind of always want to be prepared for everything. But if you do that, you won't ever get strong in any one thing. And the game really encourages and incentivize saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to have to forego construction right now. I might not do much more construction, which means I might miss out when you trigger a construction action. But if I can do that to make my R&D stronger, because I really need to focus on that, that means, hey, if you're not going to trigger R&D, you better believe I will, and chances are you'll want to piggyback off of me. There's lots of indirect player interaction like that, and I absolutely love it to pieces. I love the core central... um, message of what we're trying to do, um, you know, a, a crew, a, you know, create a business empire that gives back and makes the world better than it was when it started out. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe though. There are so many intricate mechanisms within mechanisms within mechanisms, and they all intertwine so beautifully. This is from one of my top 10 designers of all time, Javier Georges. And, uh, this can't be Twa, but boy, this comes in really, really high. My number 10 of the year. For now, remember folks, you need to come back later in the year um, and see if uh, things move around. But my number 10 preliminarily is uh, Carnegie. Then let's move on to number nine, Merchants of the Dark Road. Oh my goodness, I love this one. I've loved this one ever since I covered it on uh, when it was during its Kickstarter a couple of years ago. Um, pro- there's a lot to say here that's really, really cool. Uh, first of all, let's just get the obvious out of the way. The presentation here is amazing. Even though this was a prototype, this was one of the best-looking prototypes I've ever played, and it doesn't hold a candle to how beautiful the final version of the game is, especially if you got the deluxe version with all the extra uh, bits and pieces. I'll be honest, folks. I have the deluxe version. And it's so gorgeous. These This game has maybe the most beautiful D6s I've ever seen in any game. And that helps bump it up a little bit. I'll admit, I can be susceptible to the charms of some wonderful components. But uh, even without that, the gameplay here is so great. There's so many things going on here. People wrongly call this a pick-up-and-deliver game. It's not. It's not even remotely a pick-up-and-deliver game. It's a Euro st- It's a rondelle game. And it's a multi-use rondelle. And um, the, so... I love rondelles. They're in my top 10 mechanisms of all time, so of course I'm really going to like this. The way it works is, on your turn... Oh, we're a little bit later. We're on the dark road. Let's uh, scroll back a little bit. On your turn, you have some dice queued up. Uh, at any given time, on your own little wagon, you've got three dice queued up. You can pick one of them to decide, how far am I going to move around the rondelle, um, and which determines where am I going to go. And when I get to where the rondelle is, I can do one of two different actions. That's why I mean it's a multi-use rondelle. In fact, in um, every space, there's three actions you can do, potentially, but most of the time, you'll pick one action or the other. Then, after you've slid that die up, done the rondelle action, you have to take another die and slot it into its place so that you are queuing yourself up for future rounds with where you want to move on the rondelle. So the long-term um, strategizing and planning in this game is through the roof. I absolutely love the core gameplay here. This multi-use rondelle with long-term strategic dice-driven um, movement is quite unlike anything I've ever seen. And then, so what that drives at its heart is a game where we're trying to buy low and sell high. We are merchants of the dark road, after all. So we're trying to get to either the regular market or the black market, collect um, goods when they're cheap, because the value of items in this game is fluctuating all the time, and we have some control over that. And we then we try to sell them for big bucks. Or, instead, we try to store them and take them on to the dark road because every once in a while you'll decide, hey, I'm going to land on the dark road space of the rondelle, and that means I'm going to launch a caravan, a trade caravan to Windglass or Farglan or Night Poem, whatever it is. Now, here's the thing. As I was collecting all the stuff I need to take to Windglass, because I know what they want out there, I might even be getting passengers who want to go to Windglass. Everybody else can see, wow, Rado's really um, planning on going to Windlass. Maybe I should pay attention to that. Maybe I should get ready because once I hit 
the road, Jack, and enter the dark road, everybody else at the table says, I'll join you or I won't. And if they do, that means even though it's my turn, they're getting the chance to deliver their goods where they need to go and make points. And I love that. Um, you know, that kind of indirect stuff. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go with you because here's the thing. The road is dangerous. They call it the dark road for a reason because we could run afoul of stuff. And so if you do decide to come with me, well, depending on wh whether I want to take the easy road or the hard road, that means um, either you face the dangers first, and hopefully I don't get hit so bad, or I face the dangers first. Um, or, I'm sorry, no, if you face the dangers first, you have a better shot of not getting hit. If you face the dangers last, you're probably going to get hit more often. So there's a really interesting um, you know, push and pull there with the tension of what's actually going to happen when we go out on the road with these cool little story vignettes of things we run into, bandits or um, you know, traitors or um, you know, uh, um, lost orphans in the woods. Do we help them? You know, all kinds of fun little stuff. But eventually you get where you're going, you make your deliveries, and then you go back to the rondelle. And now the other thing I love about this game that elevates it above all else is the sweet, sweet Canetianess of it. Because, oh, throughout the game, you are trying to make money, but you're also trying to make reputation. And at the end of the game, whichever one you did more poorly in is your final points. So you are having to balance everything in this game. There is so much going on. It is so gobsmackingly gorgeous. And um, it's got to be one of the coolest rondelles I have ever seen. Um, and then it has a whole bunch of other cool chrome stuff. Um, I mean, there's... I mean, there are too many things to talk about. The familiars you get, Jen absolutely loves them uh, because it's kind of a fantasy world, so you can get giant bumblebees who will help you on your trips and stuff like that. Love everything about this, which is why it comes in at number nine on the list, Merchants of the Dark Road. And hey, folks, by the way, if you are watching this episode before the end of 2022, and if I have caught your interest in this game at all, you might want to go check out Elf Creek Games' website, because if you order anything on Elf Creek, the publisher Elf Creek Games before the end of the year, and during checkout, use the checkout code RADO, R-A-H-D-O, you can get 10% off anything in their online store. Um, now, that's total coincidence. Uh, I have been so stoked for this for so long, finally got a copy of it, finally got it to the table, and I was reminded of how much I love it from all those years ago. Number Number nine on the list, Merchants of the Dark Road. And now let's go on to number eight, The Shapers of Gaia. And now, first of all, um, a huge shout out to John Gitz Games. Uh, he does a wonderful YouTube board game media channel where he does uh, playthroughs like mine. He does how to plays. He does all kinds of stuff. And because I have not done any kind of video for Shapers of Gaia, but John had, I hope John doesn't mind um, if I use his video. There's a link for his video if you want to see how Shapers of Gaia plays down in the show notes below. But what is this game? Um, well, it's a far-flung post-apocalyptic future, and we have come out of our vault, and we're trying to repopulate the planet, you know, rebuild the biomes with the help of a big, smart uh, robot and that we share control over, and reintroduce species, scavengers, herbivores, and carnivores to the surface. So... The, the subject matter is fun, and the presentation is great. Uh, the representation of the player characters uh, is really wonderful, too. But what really makes this game jump out is... This has got to be one of the best engine building games I've played in a long time. In fact, I would say this is my number one engine builder of the year. It's so good. Because everything I just described um, is the core of what we're doing. We are moving our own avatar around and sometimes the communal robot to go to a spot to say, Hey, I'm going to put rabbits or I'm going to put... Um, saber-toothed tigers or whatever type of creature it is in this zone. The important thing is... After you do that, you take the card that represents that particular animal and you put it over... Let's see if John's going to do this. Uh, you put it over to the right of your board. There's, there's a spot, I think, where he's going to do it. You, you take the animal and... Uh, come on, John, do it, do it! There you go. And you put it over to the right of your board. And the more animals you repopulate, the bigger your collections of cards to the right of your board goes. And after you put a card in your, um, you know, your first, second, or third slot of, the, uh, of your board, you activate that card and all other cards. And that's where the engine building comes in. Because, um, you know, the different territories, the terrain types, whether it's mushroom forests or, um, you know, uh, what is it? You know, deep, there's, there's mushroom forests and deep forests and um, what was like a cavey type place, if I recall correctly? Anyway, um, it, you... you 
you're trying to pick the right animals to go into the right place based on where you are in the world, based on the resources you have to introduce them at that time, but also, more than anything else, what animal of the three that are on display is going to work best with the engine I'm building onto the side. And ultimately, over the course of the game, I'm going to have multiple engines active at once. And so, sometimes I'm activating this engine because it'll give me a bunch of stuff so I can activate the other engine next. Think Wingspan. Once Wingspan gets up and going and you've got all that interplay between, this game relishes that. And it's so good. Honestly, this game has gotten very little attention over the course of the year. And I think it's a real shame because it's a beautiful production. Uh, it's got, an again, another wonderful message about uh, humanity being the stewards of our world and uh, you know doing the best we can. But then again, the engine building in this game is second to none. It's absolutely phenomenal. Oh, also, not for nothing, every player you play has such radically different special powers. It almost feels like it's an asymmetrical root-type game. If you're playing um, you know, one character over another, it almost might feel like, oh, I'm almost playing a different game than you. That's not quite the same. We all follow the same rules. But um, the variety amongst the playable characters is another feather in the cap of this absolutely phenomenal game, which is why it comes in at number eight of the year, Shapers of Gaia. And thanks once again to John Gitt's game. Everybody, go check him out and subscribe. Okay, now let's move on to number seven, Woodcraft. Oh my goodness. Um, this might be Jen's favorite. I am gonna, uh, later next week, Jen and I are going to sit down um, as part of the uh, monthly ramble I do. The Rotto Ramble is something that's for uh, members on YouTube or subscribers on Patreon. Uh, for only two bucks a month, you can see the monthly ramble. And this one is going to be Jen doing her top 10 of the year. Spoiler alert, if I, this is definitely going to be in her top five, if not her top one, and for good reason. From Vladimir Suki, um, oops, my one of my favorite designers of all time, this is a game where we're running a sweet, charming little woodcrafting shop in an enchanted forest, trying to make um, furniture and toys and all kinds of uh, uh, projects for the denizens of the forest and scoring points. But... The core there's a few core things that run this game. First of all, there's a central board that is the great buzzsaw. And um, you pick an action tile off that buzzsaw, and that gives you multiple things you could choose to do. Um, and then once you've done it, that goes back to the end of the buzzsaw and it becomes um, you know, uh, you know, to the bottom, and then nobody wants to use it. Because the interesting thing is the longer a given action tile goes without being activated by anybody, it starts accruing lots and lots of special special bonuses. And if you can pick up one of those action tiles that nope, everybody else has ignored, when you get two or maybe even three bonuses, it is such a good feeling. It's a really smartly designed um, circular action selection mechanism. It's kind of similar to Vladimir Suchi's uh, previous game, Product Boot Ready, but I like it even more. It's um, It's got almost kind of like a little fun peekaboo element to it because as the buzzsaw rotates, it uh, little wheels uh, rotate around to show what new bonuses appear. I love everything about the buzzsaw. But what I love love even more is we're trying to craft wood. There are different types of wood. New wood, old wood, um, you know, dark wood, light wood, whatever. I mean, there's basically different colored dice that represents the different types of wood. And if I say have a brown D4, that means I've got a level 4 plank uh, or I've got a big size 4 plank of brown wood. But I need a size 3 and a size 1 for this particular armoire that I'm building. Well, one of the things you can do is you can use your own personal buzz saws to saw that die in half and turn that D4 into uh, two dice, a D3 and a D1 or a D2 and a D2. And I love this. And also, um, if you get enough glue, you can actually glue your dice together and splice them to turn a three and a two into a five. And if you mix the type of woods when you do it, you make a stronger version of wood that is uh, more valuable. I love the resource management in this game. It's so cool. I love the action selection mechanism in this game. It's so Oh, cool! I love the huge amount of variety you get from all your um, your uh, wood shop assistants that you can hire and the different um, jobs you take. I love the fact that um, you know these jobs can take a long time, and if you take too long, the, your customers start getting mad and they um, say, "Oh, I'm not going to pay you as much because you're late in delivery." Everything about this game is great, and um, no surprise, Vladimir Sushi is one of the best, and Woodcraft is number seven on the list for the year. Okay, then let's go on to number six, Free Radicals. And I gotta say, folks, uh, when I sat down to do this, I, if you had told me a month ago, yeah, you know what? WizKids Games is gonna have two of your top ten of the year. I 
don't know that, that well, that's how it would work out, but it is. And I've been talking about this game all year, ever since we Jen and I played it back in January. And I played it a bunch because this is a game that is literally 10 games in one. Every time you sit down to play in this far um, positive cyberpunk future where mankind has gotten their act together and everybody works together for the betterment of society, hey, you may have already heard, that's a subject matter I like to see in games. You know, uh, even if we're competing, we're all working towards a greater good. Love that. More of that. Less cutthroatedness. Let's, uh, you know, hey, destroy our opposition more. Hey, well, let's just see if we can be the best. But maybe um, a rising tide floats all boats. That is certainly what goes on in Free Cycle. But the interesting thing is, every time you play, you are going to pick one of ten games. You could play the Moncala game, or the Domino game, or the Polyomino game, or the Engine Builder game, or the Deck Builder game, or or the um, Sword and Sorcery Adventure game, um, and I'm going to pick a different game. So every time you play, it's going to provide a really interesting showdown between my uh, mastery of dominoes and your mastery of farming, uh, you know, Agricola style. And I love that. Um, you know, all it's designed so beautifully. It, you know, in other games, this could be a real problem if you're trying to play with other people. Like, well, I have to learn a new game. The thing is, all ten of these games are beautifully implemented and very easy to learn. You can pick them up and be playing them almost instantly. Everybody gets a really nice little handout that um, tells them everything they need to know about their own game, including strategy tips. Hey, publishers, do more of that, especially in a game where there's 10 different games, and every time you play, you don't know what game you're going to play. Give us some strategy tips so we can you know, start moving. So I love that. All 10 games are done really well. Even the Pick Up and Deliver one I enjoyed, and I hate Pick Up and Deliver, and somehow they made me like it. But that's only half the game, because the other half of the game is there is this mega city board. And one of the main things we're trying to do with our own games is get enough resources to build buildings on the mega city. And the thing about the mega city is when I build a building, chances are I'm going to build a building that's perfect for you. And I want it to be perfect for you because if you visit it, I get benefits at the same time you do. And then there's another huge thing there are four tracks that represent knowledge. Um, and in most games, you would want to hoard all the knowledge to yourself because the higher you go up on a knowledge track, the more um, points you get at the end of the game. But the thing is, every time I accrue knowledge, I could hoard it for myself or I could give it to my opponents and let them climb the track, giving them points. But because of my largesse, I am unlocking more bonuses that are going to help me further down the road. So again, everything about this game speaks to me on such a deep level. Um, you know, a, a bright future for our species where we've learned to put aside our predilection towards um, zero-sum gaming. And, and then on top of that, 10 really well implemented. No one of these 10 games is going to be best of class. You know, I mean, the farming game is not going to eclipse Agricola. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Moncala game is not going to beat Trajan or something like that or Five Tribes. But they're all really well done and there's so much variety and the way play interact with each other in inevitably positive ways, even though it's competitive. It's just a work of just beauty, which is why it comes in at number six for the year, Free Radicals. Okay, let's go on to number five. Come together right now over me. Although I have to admit, um, for the last uh, 12 hours, I've had nothing but Glass Onion stuck in my head because I just watched Glass Onion on Netflix last night. Oh my God, it's amazing. Easily. I'm not doing a top 10 movies today, folks, but Glass Onion easily top 10 movie of the year in, in the top 10. But anyway, uh, back to the other Beatle reference. Come Together. This is a wonderfully crunchy Euro where we are trying to put on the best Woodstock-esque, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, festival over several days. And it is a worker placement game. And um, what I love about it is when I send my worker out to one of the four different boards to either attract acts to put on a show or to build the stage or to um, you know do media appearances to talk up the show or whatever it is, wherever I send my worker, they're not going to activate immediately. In, they, they might get a little tiny bonus, but for the most part, they're just going to sit there. And what happens is um, if I say, then go and do another another action in the same area of the board, um, you, everybody else around the table can see, oh, he's getting ready to activate that area. You know what? I should probably jump over and do one of those actions as well. Because on your turn, you're either going to send a worker out to prepare in one of the worker placement boards, or you're going to say, on my turn, that worker placement board activates. And everybody who's there gets the, um, gets the benefit of whatever they were setting themselves up to do. And that is wonderful. 
Folks, are you seeing a pattern here? I love crunchy Euros with a lot of goods manipulation and economic considerations where players find ways to interact with each other instead of against each other. And this is maybe the best example. Nope, I've got a, another really good example still coming on the list. But I love this. The worker placement here is so fresh and unique. Also, not for nothing, the theme is really wonderfully implemented as well. All the different bands you can hire, they are either joke references to real-world 60s and 70s bands, or their joke references to board games, or their joke references to both. It's really nicely done. But the worker placement here is next level because of the way um, you know players are uh, you know paying attention to what everybody else is doing, trying to ride on each other's coattails. But um, you know what? Hey, I mean, maybe you, you, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be the one to activate this zone. I've only got one worker here. You've got two. I'm going to wait for you to do it. But it's your turn. Well, I've got these other things I can do. Really interesting vibe. A flow quite unlike anything else. Lots of slow build, slow build, slow build, explosion of big stuff. And now slow build, slow build, slow build, explosion. Love it, which is no surprise since it is number five of the year. Come together. Okay. Now let's go on to number four, and this one is the Isle of Cats Explore and Draw. And yes, folks, as far as I'm concerned, this eclipses the original Isle of Cats. Um, it's the same basic game. I've got a ship. I'm trying to rescue all these crazy magical cats from the Isle of Cats before the pirates show up and all that. Um, and all the cats are laying around in weird contorted shapes, making wonderful polyominoes. So this is a polyomino tile layer. Although since it's a roll and write, or a flip and write, I should say, I don't... Um, grab the tiles. Instead, I draw the tiles on my board, which is nice and pleasant. But the more important thing is what really makes this game special is um, entwined drafting. Now, what was it? Last year, Cascadia made such a huge splash. Didn't it win the Spiel this year? Maybe, I think it was the Spiel, not the Kenner Spiel. Um, and everybody fell in love with it. It was not in any way, shape, or form the first example of, oh, a drafting game where, hey, when I draft, when I, when I pick a bucket to draft from, I'm grabbing everything in that bucket. And sometimes the stuff I want is in a different bucket, but I have to pick one bucket. I can't pick them all. This game takes that entwined drafting to the next level because the buckets are four columns of cards. Everybody looks at this 3 by 4 grid of cards that are drawn randomly, that are full of cats we're trying to rescue, special powers we can unlock, in-game scoring bonus things we could do, and everybody's got to pick one column and say, okay, I'm going to take that cat, and that cat, and that end-of-game bonus. And you might choose the same one, or you might choose a different one. Um, but... It's so interesting. It's so satisfying, especially when, hey, that column has everything I want. I want all three of those things, but that's pretty rare. Most of the time, there's really one thing in that column that you want desperately. Another thing, you're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of nice. And a third thing, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But it's your choice. You pick the column. And this is the best entwined drafting I have seen. And we've been seeing it on more and more games, but I absolutely love it. I love the uh, tactile nature of the uh, roll and write element as well. And um, I, I love the cute, adorable cats, uh, just like uh, you know, Isle of Cats too. Uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful game. It actually eclipses Isle of Cats. This was me and Ruel playing. And you, if you go check out this run-through, and by the way, follow the links down in the show notes folks, you can play too, because it's a bingo-style game. You can follow along with all the results we have and see if you can beat Ruel's and my score in the uh, fourth best game of the year, in my opinion anyway, Isle of Cats, Explore and Draw. Okay, now let's talk about number three, Revive. Folks, we are not done with the future. We are going back to the future yet again, uh, much like Shapers of Gaia, for another post-apocalypse. We are emerging from our caves and trying to um, rebuild the world and do a better job our second time around Humanity 2.0. So, um, obviously... To me, uh, hey, if I've got to build something, how about a better future for humanity rather than building a trade network in um, Renaissance-era uh, London? How about build a better future? I just like the story that's being told here. The world is frozen. Over the course of the game, the uh, main board tiles will flip over to reveal more opportunities. Before it flips over, you, you know some of what's going to be there. So when you go out and explore, oh, I really want to go that because I know there's a lake there and I need a lake, but what else do I find? The exploration is wonderful. The engine building of this game is wonderful, too. Now, I mentioned earlier, Shapers of Gaia is, I think, the best engine builder, and I stand by that. The engine building in this game is much is a much smaller thing, whereas it's 
everything. You're building three engines at all times in Shapers of Gaia. Whereas here, you've got one engine that you activate every once in a while. Uh, so really, the core of what makes um, Revive so great is it is a multi-use card hand management game. Because on your turn, you're going to take a card from your hand, and all your cards have actions on the top and the bottom of the card. And when you play a card, you are going to slip it in very satisfactorily into a little slot at the top of your board and activate the top effect, or at the bottom of your board and activate the bottom effect. And that just, it feels good. The uh, production on this game is very, very nice, so it's very satisfying just to slot things in and they and they fit perfectly and you can see exactly what's there. But um, it also basically means you're playing a worker placement game. It's just that your cards are the workers. Every card has multiple uses, but you only have so many worker placement slots. And that's where the true beauty of this game comes in. Because when I place my worker, in a given slot. Oh, I can't use that slot anymore until I inevitably take the turn to say, hey, I'm going to pass and recall all my workers. And they'll, I'll, First of all, I'll recall everything in my discard pile from way earlier in the game. Then all of my current workers that are activated will go into the discard pile, so I won't see them for a long time. And then on my next turn, I can... And now all my worker placement slots are free and I can start going again. So that works. It's very Concordia vibe. Works wonderfully here, but the beauty part is if I play a card that you really like, you can say, oh... I like your card better than my own. I'm going to activate your card that you've just slotted in. I'm going to get that really big benefit that you had earned, because it's a deck builder too. Did I mention it's a deck builder also? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm going to use that really cool card, and I'm like, please do, because what happens is, that means that card immediately comes out of the slot, goes into my discard pile, which means I'll get that card back much sooner, and you've given me another worker placement spot of my own. I love it! Again, another beautiful representation of how board game design this day, these days doesn't have to be about me stealing your stuff or me knocking down your sandcastle. Um, board game design, cutting edge, really interesting interaction is all about finding ways for players to create opportunities for each other and to have mutual benefits off of moves. I love it. This is one of several games I've mentioned that this is a par for the course, and I think this is probably the best example of it of the year, which is why it comes in at number three. And I know a lot of other people rate this game very, very highly too. This one's making a lot of top ten of the year list. Uh, my number three, Revive. Oh, good stuff. But even better, number two is the Guild of Merchant Explorers. And I'll be honest, folks, for a long time, I thought this was going to be my number one game of the year, which is really surprising because this is such a simple, light game. This is almost a gateway game. It's certainly a gateway plus. It's from AEG, which is interesting because that's the same publisher that brought us Tiny Towns. And this has about the same level of depth and complexity of Tiny Towns. What is going on? We Each of us runs a guild of merchant explorers. And um, we have been commissioned by the royalty of the land to go out be, uh, because we've lost touch with all the other cities. So the uh, king and queen want us to run around and explore and create new trade routes and um, you know explore mysterious caves and towers and all kinds of fun wonderful stuff. So the subject matter is great. This is a game 100% of exploration, but then also exploitation. Because the interesting thing is, on your turn, uh, a card, this is a bingo style game, a card is going to be drawn that tells everybody, hey, you can explore three spaces in the ocean, or you can explore two spaces in the mountains, or you can explore three spaces in forests, but they have to be unique forests, or whatever it might be. And then everybody does that, and you do that by putting your little cubes that represent your explorers out on the board, and you're trying to get them to spread out hither and yon all around the board, trying to get to more stuff. Um, but what will eventually happen is, the deck of cards that is uh, telling, all, giving all of us our marching orders in sync, everybody gets to say, oh, well, we get to do this, this turn, this, this turn. Eventually that deck runs out. And then that means at that point, all of our explorers come home and we reset the board and we have to start exploring again. And this expansion contraction, expansion contraction is so cool and so interesting because you are so desperate because if you can reach certain areas in your expansion before you have to contract when the king calls everybody back when the deck is empty, um, that means you can keep some of your cubes on the board. And that means in future turns, you can expand from multiple locations. And that is a big part of the design of this game. And it's really cool and incredibly satisfying and fun to play. But that's only half of it. That's the exploring the board. And by the way, did I mention the game comes with four different landscapes, all of which have their own unique rules, so you get a lot of variety from game to game? That's all awesome. But the other half of the game is those cards I was mentioning. Because... 
It's a it's a bingo style deck of cards. It tells everybody what we're gonna do. Um, but a huge part of this game is it's not a very big deck, and you know what's in that deck. You don't know what order they're coming. So as you play the cards, they end up being left on the board because this is a game that very much um, reinforces and rewards card counting. And you know so much. So, I mean, a lot of games benefit from card counting, but most of the time, oh, you just put your cards in the discard pile, and am I supposed to remember all this? Here, the game goes out of its way to remind everybody, hey, here's all the cards that have been played. Don't forget, these cards have been played. This one hasn't been played yet, so you know this one is still coming. I love this, um, because I've played games many times where I'm busy counting cards, and I feel almost like I'm cheating, because I know nobody else around the table is doing it, because the game doesn't give you any kind of built-in player aid to make it easy to keep track of what has been played and hadn't played, and I think that's absolutely brilliant as a production graphic design choice that the developers made, that everybody is constantly reminded of, oh, there's only the last three cards. It's one of these three cards. I can see. I can plan. I love that. Now, Jen and I would be doing it anyway, but I love a game that makes it easy to do it so we don't have to rely so much on memory. Yes! But the most important thing about this game is some of the cards that get played, they don't tell you, hey, b- uh, build in the plains or build in the o- or explore in the oceans or whatever. They just say the Roman numeral one, two, or three. Because over the course of the game, players are going to get their own special powers. And when Roman numeral one card comes out, that means I activate my power that is radically different from your power. Um, but the thing is, all of these powers are mega powerful. This has kind of a vibe similar to... Um, Oh, what's it? The, uh, Voyages of Marco Polo, where everybody has a power that seems so overpowered and so broken that they think they're going to win the game until they look around the board and realize, oh, everybody else has an equally overpowered, game-breaking card that they can play too. And everybody gets to activate their super cards at the same time. And so when those cards come up, you're waiting for them, you're building up for them to really take advantage of them. Everything about this game is just about near perfection. Simple game, easy to teach, hugely replayable. I've heard some people complain that, oh, the name is not very inspiring. I don't know. It says what it says on the tin. We're guilds of merchant explorers. That speaks to me. That means, oh, I'm going to explore. I'm excited. I don't know why people think that's a boring title. I mean, I'm going to explore. Yay. Um, Some people don't like the look of the game because it's very... Um, slightly colored parchment map, but to me, that just feels appropriate to the world we're in. We are explorers. We're looking at a map. We're exploring. It looks nice. I don't know. I don't get why some people are down on it, because to me, well, no surprise. It's the second best game of the year, the Guild of Merchant Explorers. But it's not the best, folks. The number one game has to be Planet Unknown. Uh, Which, by the way, I should say, you're looking at an early prototype. The final version of Planet Unknown looks so much better than my prototype here. But, um, what is this? This is a game where we are terraforming an exoplanet, and we're doing it through polyomino tiling and um, track building. Uh, Basically, every time I put a new tile down, it has two types of terrain on it. And that means, like, say it has um, mountains and forests. That means, oh, I put this tile down, and I tried to jigsaw puzzle it together like a really good polyomino tile layer game. You know, that's just my favorite type of tiling. Polyomino tile layers are making jigsaw puzzles fun. That's just awesome in and of itself. But every uh, tile comes with two things. So, hey, I move forward on my mountain and my um, forest because that's the tile I placed. I'm making every choice about every tile I draft, both on, hey, what can fit in the world the best? What are my objectives? Because I have to try and get certain tiles next to other tiles, or whatever it might be. Every time you play, you get a different collection of objectives you're trying to pursue. But on top of that, I'm also paying attention to what moves on track. Because all of the tracks for the mountains and the forests and the water and and, uh, everything else, they are chock-a-block full of bonus combo actions you get to do. So you better believe, oh, this mountain and uh, forest is perfect for me. Because if I move forward on the forest track, that's going to let me move forward on the water track. And if I move forward on the water track, that's going to let me do a bonus mountain thing. And then after I do all that, I move forward on the mountain. I moved up two spaces instead of one on the mountain and hit that really tough space, the spot that unlocked a special power for me. Oh, yeah. This game... It is, it is an embarrassment ri- of riches when it comes to combinatorial, big, super explosive. Boom, boom, boom. I had this uh, triggered, this triggered, this triggered, this. Chain, cause and chain effects, or, you know, uh, chain reaction effects are just overflowing in this game, and I love it. Um, you know, in much the same way, you know, that's like the whole point of the roll and write gone, shown, clever. But this is a crunchy game with a lot of stuff going on, but still, all that. I mean, it's. It, 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 it's as satisfying as when you know you're building up, you're building up, and then you're you're cooking popcorn, right? And it's taking a little bit, the microwave's going, and then you hear a pop, and then a pop, and then a pop, pop, 
and then a pop, 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 and then a pop, 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 pop. And I don't know, maybe if you're like me, I find that buildup so satisfying and so gratifying. And then when the big explosion of stuff comes, and I know, oh, that's going to be some delicious popcorn. This game gives you that feeling in cardboard form over and over and over again. And it has so much variety. The game comes with, I forget, like a dozen different planets that are all radically different, totally change up your gameplay. Um, like I said, every time you play, you're going to get a different collection of special objectives. Oh, and did I bury the lead? The game also comes with a lazy Susan because the card drafting in this game is absolutely wonderful. Because when I'm the lead player, I can pick any of the tiles I want. I rotate the Lazy Susan around so the tile I want is in front of me. And what I'm doing is I'm also specifying what tiles are available for every other player around the board. Because this is a game where everybody does stuff every turn. It's just one player is the lead that says, here's what everybody has access to. So it's a, it's a huge simultaneous play game as well. So it just goes so smooth and wonderfully. Although I think, I actually I like the two-player specific rules better where you don't pick any tile you want want, but on your turn, you're always just rotating one more time. So I can see what my next three or four or five choices are going to be for tiles, and I love that even more. Deeply rich and strategic, huge replayability, wonderfully satisfying and compelling polyomino tile lane gameplay, and combinatorial um, chain effects uh, that are just the best. Puts Planet Unknown at the top of the list. As far as I'm concerned, folks, this is my number one game of the year preliminarily come back in April or May and we'll see uh, if anything eclipses it. Phew! Oh my gosh, folks! That was a long list and we are just getting started. Like I said right up front, I've got an extension to this, another 34. We're doing the top 44, not just the top 10. You can go on and hit that button right over there. It'll take you right to it. Don't forget, there's the wish list of 20 games I've still got to play. There's the unboxing of uh, Weather Machine. There's a whole bunch of Q&A, a bunch of questions people ask. I get a little salty myself from time to time. And hopefully you enjoy that. And in closing, folks, Folks, happy new year? Yeah, okay. Get clicking, everybody. I'm exhausted. <laughs>